With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan, catching up with Steve Tigner um, back in New York uh, after a trip to Indian Wells, here to talk a little bit about Miami. So covering all the uh, all the corners of the U.S. here with this podcast. Steve, you know, to me, when I think about Indian Wells and Miami, as we've seen this month, they're they're remarkably similar in composition, but to me, the vibes of them are are so different. Um, I kind of wanted your thoughts being there at Indian Wells and you know watching Miami here. Like, is to you to me, it seems like two completely different events, even though on the surface you would never think that. Yeah, I think um, they are. I mean, I think there's a sense when you start in on Miami that that it's another Indian Wells starting over, but you know the the vibe is different. The, um, you know, for one thing, on the women's side, Serena and Venus are in the tournament. That's a, that obviously is is a big change. Um, sort of the fan energy is different, and also, I think the way people perceive the two tournaments now, you know, as Indian Wells is always improving and Miami is sort of stagnating. That, you know, depending on your point of view, I think most of the players feel that way, and there's a sense that. That Indian Wells has, has sort of switched it. It used to be the Sony was sort of the fifth major, the bigger one, and Indian Wells was a sort of a warm up for that. Now it feels like Indian Wells is the fifth major, and Miami's become a little bit of an afterthought. Um, yeah, that that momentum has has become, I think, just more apparent. Uh, we we heard a lot of that drumbeat during Indian Wells about what gains it's made, but I feel like even during Miami, you're seeing. Um, you're still sort of seeing the, the the gap wide between the two a little bit. I remember, I think there was a tweet from Paul Henry Mathieu going into the, going into Miami that sort of slammed the uh, the Key Biscayne event, and you know even on one of the tennis channel broadcasts they were you know they were talking up. I think it was the practice courts and how nice of an innovation that is for fans. It's a very it's a very good way, a good value for fans that go to tickets, and they're talking about this in Miami, and then they go right into, oh, and uh, you know, Indian Wells just did an incredible renovation about this, turned into this love fest for essentially their rival tournament there. And and to me, you know, I view these tournaments as like Indian Wells is kind of like the Australian Open, and Miami is turning into like the U.S. Open, where they're they're at the end of these long slogs, and instead of sort of renewed excitement and hope. On the earlier tournaments, you get these kind of like, you know, when is it over kind of feel with these two later hardcore events. Yeah, I guess it's true. It's also feels sort of like the U.S. Open, and it's really humid. And uh, I feel like a lot of the European players want to get out of there by the time they're in Miami. I think 
I mean, the tur- you know the people at the Sony Open would defend the tournament, say it still has good sponsors, it still is a money maker, it's owned by you know a big tennis organization, IMG. They're going to they're going to expand. I think one of the problems that the players have is nothing's been changed there for ten years. The facilities are out of date, especially when compared with Indian Wells, which is always getting bigger. Indian Wells has more room and more money with with Larry Ellison. Um, Sony Open also has always banked on the fact that it had a good TV deal with CBS. That that's doesn't seem to be that seems to be ending and going to ESPN. So that's another thing that may make you think. You know, I, it feels like so, the Sony Open needs a, to be revamped, and they're trying to do that. But but right now, they seem to be sort of you know f- falling a little further behind Indian Wells every year. And I and I think you're right with the comparison with the U.S. Open. Just the feel from a lot of the European players. And the American players have said this: they, they, when they get ahead on a European player in Miami, they get the feeling that you know they, they feel like they're in good shape because that player may start thinking about you know getting out getting out of town because they've been in those people have been in the U.S. for a month. And I feel like that's that's what happened yesterday. With could have you know sort of explained some of the lopsided scores yesterday. Songa Gasquet, Barinka really didn't look like he wanted to be there. I think there's a sense that um, you know. It's, it, it does feel like it's the end of something rather than building up to something. Getting ready to cash in their dollars for euros. Exactly, yeah. I got two questions, sort of theoretical questions, that I wonder if either would ever actually come to pass. I know, and both have you know kind of been discussed, but I don't know how realistic either is. The first, which I've, I, I feel like I've heard from a few people, is that the U.S. Open would actually entertain sort of uh, renting itself out into Indian Wells for, you know, maybe once every five or ten years. I've I've heard that a little bit. I don't know if that's more wishful thinking than anything. The other one that I know has been discussed in the past, but it doesn't seem like is going to go anywhere, is if Miami would ever consider going to clay um, in that it leads right into the clay circuit. It would kind of differentiate itself a little bit more. It has a huge South American, you know, fan base. Players are, you know, I think that's a term that they target, and that would make a lot of sense heading into Europe. Uh, do you think either of those would ever actually happen? I can't imagine the U.S. Open leaving New York um, and taking place anywhere else um, just because of the the sponsor money and the amount of people that come to New York, the um, the amount of money they can charge for a luxury suite in New York, it's just it's just all a different level, you know, financially. And even the TV ratings. See, one of the reasons CBS paid a lot of money in the past for the U.S. Open was because it may not get huge ratings around the country, but it it always does well in New York City, uh, and that that was a big deal to them. Um, so. It really would be hard to imagine that happening. As far as green clay in Miami, I think that's a great idea. Uh, the only, and for the reasons you say, it leads into the clay season. There's a there's a history of not red clay, but but hard true in Florida, um, and I think that would make sense. The only, and it would be a way of differentiating itself from Indian Wells. If Indian Wells is going to is going to become this become the bigger of the two tournaments, this would be a way of sort of of taking something back and being in, in you know individualizing themselves from 
Indian Wells. The only problem, I guess, would be the players would need to make a really fast transition from hard courts to clay without any, with really not even a week in between. That's the one issue. You might have to work on the schedule and that. But I, I like the idea of clay in, uh, in Miami. The, the tournament director was asked about it last year, Adam Baird. He said, that's never going to happen. So we'll see. We're probably just, you know, it's just another wishful thinking thing. Yeah, probably just for the podcast talk. Yeah. So we talked, you referenced a little about um, yesterday in Miami, uh, Tuesday, for whenever you guys listen to this. Tuesday in Miami turned into this really sort of the U.S. version of, of the second Monday at Wimbledon. It was kind of a, a really stacked day with so many player, so many really Grand Slam champions on the card. Um, you know, a few of them go down. Ravrinka, uh, Ferrer, not a Grand Slam champ, but he goes down. Um, a lot of the matches are happening today, so I want to talk about uh, Thursday's matches uh, so this doesn't age uh, so quickly. Um, you know, On the men's side, you have Rafa plays Raonic. You have Dolgopolov plays Burdich. Um, you know, maybe some thoughts on, on those matches, but also I think I want to really touch upon, you know, Dolgopolov, back-to-back really strong tournaments, really big tournaments, of course. Um, you know, does the dog have staying power, I guess? Yeah, you know, watching him yesterday, he got ahead on Vavrinka. Vavrinka really didn't look like he was into it. Um, and, but then in the second set, Dolgopolov, he's never, you know, he's got everything except really closing ability. He's never, he's always struggled with, finishing off matches that maybe he should win. Um, and we saw that even against Nadal in Indian Wells when he, he almost gave that match back. And, but then he, he kind of went off the rails in the second set against Vavrinka, and it seemed like you know, it was going to be the same, this, you know, the same old story with him, but he came back and won the third set. He, he jumped out to a good lead in the third set. I feel like if he's a guy who's going to be able to close out what he starts, and it's a whole different, you have to consider him in a whole different way. And right now he's doing that, so so we'll see. It's a tough matchup against Burdich. You know, Burdich is can you would think overpower uh, Dolgopolov. And Burdich has been also has had a has had a good year this so far. This would be a really a big win and a kind of surprise win for Dolgopolov. Yeah, I, I was thinking about Burdich a little bit, and you know he he's going to pass on uh, the the next Davis Cup tie, which actually next week for the Czechs in Japan. That wouldn't be very big news necessarily except for the fact that the Czech Republic has won the title two times in a row. So Burdich clearly is putting his focus more on the tour. Um, and, you know, to me, if you want to think of how this tennis narrative has developed this year with Wawrinka winning the Australian Open and certainly not the degree of a stranglehold that the, the, the big four guys have had in recent years, it would kind of be the ultimate uh, coda to – you know the the hardcore season. If one if Burdich ended up winning, what would undoubtedly be like a break? You know the title in his career. He's won a Masters before, but nothing to this level. Um, it, you know we've said that a lot. Though Burdich would have to go through most likely Nadal. That's what I want to get to next. You know Nadal plays Raonic, and we just looked up you know Rafa's record against Milos, and you know Milos is pretty young, but he's already lost four matches to Rafa. Yeah, you would think. I would have thought Raonic would give um, would have given Rafa trouble in at least one of those matches, just because you know on the on the right day, Raonic can really should be able to beat anybody with his serve. But he's never he hasn't won a set. The last time they played was in Montreal in the final, um, Milos's you know home country, and Rafa beat him two and two. 
and this is a you know fairly slow court in Miami, so you have to take. And Rafa has looked good so far, much better than he did in Indian Wells. Um, the thing with Burdich is then can, you know he sh- he should probably beat Delgopola, but then he's probably going to run into Nadal again in, in the same situation on a fairly slow court. And he you know, he he even says that Nadal is just the worst matchup for him. You know, Burdich in the past has pretty much gone into their matches saying he didn't really expect to win. That he'd rather play somebody like Federer, or maybe even Djokovic. Um, so we'll see. That would be a big surprise if Burdich um, can knock off if he plays Nadal and can knock him off. Let's end with a uh, a big women's match on the uh, based on the rankings, of course. Serena and Sharapova, and I I have that disclaimer because of just how lopsided their record is. You know, we just looked at it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's 15 and two to Serena. It's now 14 matches in a row. So Sharapova did at one point actually lead this head-to-head two to one, and Sharapova hasn't beaten Serena in a decade. Um, I will kind of leave it to you with the question, really. You know, what more is there to say about these two? But uh, you know, maybe the maybe the only other thing to say is that you know Serena Williams this year has not to this point been the Serena Williams of the past two years. Yeah, she struggled in her first couple of matches in Miami, but she's looked good in the last two. Sharapova really had Serena on the ropes at this tournament in the final last year. She won the first set and she was up in the second set, but then Serena, once she got it together, just rolled and won the third set 6-0. They've played three times since then. Serena hasn't lost a set. Some of it has been competitive. They had a competitive French Open final and a competitive set in Brisbane. Um, based on their form right now, Sharapova did look good against Kvitova, but she's been getting used to a new coach this year. Um, based on their form, you don't see any reason why this would be any different. The result will be any different than what we've seen in the past. Yeah. Good. Well, we will um, we'll catch up a little later on what ends up happening here in Miami. Uh, you know, next week we move into Davis Cup. Um, you know, for more on Miami, of course, Pete Bodo's down there. So be uh, checking out his reports on Tennis.com, of course. Steve, thank you, and thank you, everybody, for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. This is Evan Roden once again. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 